Uh, I heard a story uh, this week, and I'm going to repeat it. Um, I had nicked it, but I heard this story of a gentleman in a Scottish church. It being Scottish is important. Uh, The story goes that when the collection bag came round, he accidentally put a crown into the bag. This is old time money, a long, long time ago. A crown, which is 25 pence, instead of putting a penny into the bag. And he immediately winced at the thought of what he'd done. He'd realised he'd put 25 times the amount he intended to into the collection bag. And he quietly asked the usher who was passing the bag along the rows and if he could take the crown back and replace it with a penny. But the usher was Scottish too. (laughs) I'm glad you got that. That's brilliant. We understand the Scottish joke. And the usher brightly said, in once, in forever. Oh well, groaned the giver. I'll get credit for it in heaven, he said. The usher replied, no, you'll get credit only for a penny. And how right he was. How right he was. I wonder what our attitude is to the money that we have, to the money that we give, if we give at all. Are we generous? Or do we give reluctantly? And how do we measure generosity in ourselves and perhaps in others as well? What is our motivation as we do give? Now you may have been a Christian for many years, but is your attitude to the money that you have any different from those perhaps that you work with, who aren't Christians, who you live around? You see, these next two chapters uh, in this letter of Paul's to the church in Corinth, seem, they, they seem like a bit of a random departure. We've had chapters 1 to 7, now we get chapters 8. Some, might have, some do even argue that this is a separate letter that's kind of been added on. But in chapters 8 and 9, what we have is Paul reminding the church in Corinth of, of some, actually a previous desire that they had to give. Uh, This ought to be, if you like, an extension, uh, a practical application of the evidence of their renewed faith in Christ, which is what Paul has been speaking of in chapters 1 to 7. And Paul is, uh, interestingly, he makes the same point, just so you don't think this is isolated. Paul is making the same point that Jesus has made again and again and again on a number of occasions. You can think of uh, Luke 19, for example, with Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Zacchaeus, of course, does what the rich young ruler could not do in the previous chapter, because when he first met Jesus, he was mastered by his passion to get stuff, to to collect stuff, to accumulate stuff. But he understood who Jesus was. He put his faith in Jesus. He submitted himself to Jesus. He was his Lord and his Saviour. And Zacchaeus left in a very different way. He left mastered by his passion then to give. And here in 2 Corinthians, Paul is spelling out for the church what it is to have Jesus as Lord of the whole of their lives, including their wallets, their possessions. As I mentioned, the Corinthians back in, uh, one, they, they previously sort of requested, if you like, to give uh, to the poorer churches. Uh, and uh, you can see that back in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. But the churches in Jerusalem and Judea were really suffering. Uh, but because Paul, uh, the church had fallen out with Paul, as we've been seeing over the first seven chapters, 
That gift which they'd kind of said we'd like to give never materialised. They never got round to it. Now we know what's happened since then. There's been a harsh letter that Paul has written to the church. We were reminded of that last week. And now since the church are now back in good relationship with Paul, since they were now responding to that harsh letter, to the criticism that they'd received, since now they were living more appropriate and godly lives, Paul is reminding them of their previous desire to give. To give a gift to Christians who are more needy than them in the Judean churches. In a sense, what he uses language is of actually, I want you to complete what you've already volitionally in your minds willed to begin. Paul is now saying, Now's the time. Get round to that gift that you once wanted to give. Now, perhaps the most striking thing about this passage is that Paul doesn't mention any numbers. There's no targets of how much to raise. There's not one of those thermometers up the side of the, you know, the kind of the side of the paragraphs that's saying, oh, you're nearly there. If you give a bit more, you're going to get to the top, you know, like you see on some churches. No. We love a number, don't we? Because it helps us justify limiting what we give. Uh, Paul doesn't speak in terms of numbers, though. It's interesting that, isn't it? Rather, he speaks of, and you'll see in your uh, outline, that, that first little subheading, he speaks of the grace of giving. The grace of giving. Uh, the Corinthians and, and all of us who are Christians have received, we know, grace from God. Grace being that undeserved kindness that has been poured out as Jesus has, uh, has died on the cross in our place. If you don't know it yet, you must learn it. Chapter 5, verse 21. What does it say? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's that swap that occurs on the cross. That Jesus takes on himself the punishment that our sin deserves. He becomes sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That grace we as Christians have received in Christ But Paul's point here is that, and throughout those, that must inevitably flow to others. Overflows were used to others. And we see that in verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, speaking to the Corinthians, he says, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, what is that grace? That, that, That grace is observed in the Macedonian churches in their inclination to give, their desire to give. It was overflowing from their lives because they've been reconciled to God through Christ. That, that, that overwhelming source of grace in their lives had kind of bubbled up. It had fizzed out. They could not restrain themselves. They wanted to give. They wanted to pour out grace on others. They've been loved eternally and immeasurably in Christ and they just could not keep that to themselves. And it poured out as they enjoyed the grace of giving. There are ten references to the grace of giving in these next couple of chapters. And five of them appear in the next ten verses. Look at them. Verse 1, you see it there. Verse 4, it's spelled out in our translation as the privilege of giving. It's the same same phrase. Verse 6, verse 7 and verse 9, it's there again and again and again. And if you want to hear a figure, a number, 
regarding how much you know, Christians are encouraged to give, I'm afraid you're looking in the wrong place and you're in the wrong church. You're probably actually looking to give a penny, not a crown. And it should perhaps show you where your heart is. Which is what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking figures, he's talking about hearts that understand giving as a grace, overflowing from the grace that they've received in Christ. Now to illustrate and to motivate the church in Corinth, Paul firstly turns to the example of the churches in Macedonia. That takes us to our first point. We see the example of the Macedonians. Now listen to their example again, if you can. Verse 1. Now, brothers, we've seen that. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. What, in the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in what? Rich generosity. Now, the Macedonian churches, there's a little area, Macedonia, um, sort of very kind of northern Greece as we know it now. Um, and the churches that we know of were Philippi, uh, Thessalonica, and the church in Berea. They were poor, as we see in verse 2. Now, that word there used, the, the word used there, is, is rarely used... And literally, it might go, they are down to the depths poor. There's not a category of poverty that could go lower in the language used. I know that many of you have travelled around the world uh, to various places, perhaps third world nations. And you will have seen that kind of poverty, I'm sure. I remember travelling to Romania a few times when I was a student. And it was incredibly humbling. If you've never been to such a place, if you've never seen true poverty, um, I would actually encourage you to try. It's interesting, by contrast, we think of ourselves as poor if we, if we have to think about what we spend when others don't. The Macedonian churches faced extreme poverty, but also very uh, severe trial, it says. Again, it's to the point of, uh, there's no further that the the writer could go there. Very severe trial. I'm not going to tell you the bloody gory details of what they experienced. But I suggest you look in the history books. Uh, It would be too graphic and too awful of what the Macedonian churches experienced. It was an awful and seemingly impossible and hopeless situation as you read that verse. But look what happens in their very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. What did they do? It welled up. It welled up in, in rich generosity. As I said, I went to these churches in Romania, and a town in Romania as about a 20, 21-year-old. And I remember teaching a song and sharing my faith very briefly with a translator to those who had gathered And it was thrilling because I remember some coming to faith. It was the first time they'd heard of the Lord Jesus. I remember being kissed continually by grown men in tears, as was their custom. It was a very odd custom, uh, but I kind of got used to it. Just they wanted to express their thanks. These people, some for the first time, had never heard of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they gave their lives to him. And they were so thankful. And some of them, interestingly, came to me, uh, even some of the young children, and, uh, and they begged with the, the translator for me to stay for a short while. 
And then they just ran off. They would come back about 10 to 15 minutes later with small gifts in their hands. Some brought just pictures of themselves with their name written on the back and gave them to me as a present to say thank you. Some brought just one individual chocolate. Some brought an individual tiny sweet. And I will never forget it because my hands were full uh, with things that I would immediately throw in the bin in an instant here. But out of their severe poverty and out of their overflowing joy, they generously gave, and I have to say, it meant more than anything I've ever received before. The Macedonians longed to give. Look at verse 3. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. <clears throat> we see there, and we'll see later, that they, they give according uh, to their means. They gave as they were able. They didn't look around and try and work out how much was needed or how much they felt that they'd get, get away with if others kind of made up the rest. They gave as they were able, even beyond their ability. (coughs) Literally what that says is they they gave contrary to their ability. And which is why actually Paul seems slightly reluctant that they do give. He had to plead. They they actually had to plead with Paul. Do you see that there? They they, they just said, please let us do this. But they could see the poverty. Please let us give. Why? Because it's such a privilege. The grace of giving is such a privilege to share in the service of the Lord's people elsewhere. I wonder how we compare. How have these Macedonian churches got to be like this? Why do they beg? Why do they beg? They plead for the the privilege to give. Look at verse 5. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord... And then by the will of God also to us. Oh, don't, don't get the wrong picture here. They're, they're not kind of gritting their teeth. Go, you know, reluctantly giving what was left after you know, the monthly bills were paid. First and foremost, their generosity is rooted in the giving of themselves to the Lord. Christian living, you see, grace worked out in our lives is never isolated or independent of the, the ultimate source of grace in our lives, namely of God through Christ. The grace of the Macedonians seen through their generosity is an extension, it's a response to their giving of themselves to God. They didn't hold back anything from God in their lives. They, they, that could be seen in the way that they gave. They understood that in trusting themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they were no longer their own. They got it. They were submitting themselves wholly to the Lord Jesus and his loving rule over their lives through his word and by his spirit. And when we realise the same thing, when we realise we are not our own, that we are the Lord Jesus Christ, we're his possession, his children, then we'll begin to realise that our possessions, our money, is not our own. So much easier, isn't it, to give generously when you realise that what you have in your bank or in your wallet is not yours. 
Now, if you're not uh, a Christian and you are here today, can I just say, it's great that you're here. I hope you feel incredibly welcome. And I hope you're beginning to understand more and more of of the good news of the gospel. If I point you to anywhere today, I'd say, go back, have a look at chapter 5, verse 21 again. And just make sure you understand that. And I'd love to talk you through that after the service. Of God's undeserved mercy and his love that's been poured out through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you were to flip this passage around the other way, the implicit message here is that there's no use giving money to any church unless you have first given yourself to Christ. And that is why, for example, we have no collection here at Christ Church Earlsfield. You'll not see a bag coming around here where you might accidentally put a crown. No, but, you know, but, but something, there's no bag coming around here or plate coming around here. Why? Because we simply don't want to deceive anyone who, is not a, who isn't a Christian. I want you to first come and to see and understand God's love for you poured out in the Lord Jesus Christ. And giving can so easily deceive. It can deceive the non-Christian, but it can deceive the Christian too. Because in reality, uh, what we give cannot do anything to restore us to relationship with God. You can't pay off God. Oh, Jesus can for you in your place, but you can't. There's a warning here for Christians, though. Giving can so easily lead to pride if it's motivated by a desire to be known and to be powerful, to exercise, flex our financial muscles. And that is why we must first give ourselves to Christ. And then we will want to humbly and generously respond. Well, that's the example of the Macedonian churches. Their giving, if you like, was an indicator of their faith in Christ. They gave generously because they understood the generosity of God in Christ. Oh, the implications of this? Have a look, verse 6 and 7. They're there, so we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. What the church in Corinth had once requested, back in 1 Corinthians 16, was to be brought to completion. They were encouraged to uh, enjoy this grace of giving. They excelled in uh, in so many ways in their response to the grace of God. Elsewhere in their lives it could be seen again and again in verse 7. But the point is they're incomplete. They they need to grow. That's what Paul is saying here. See, it's it's possible to to give so much money to a church and, and for Jesus to still be held at arm's length in areas of your lives. That is possible. But Jesus can't have you, your heart, Without having your money. The two are far too intertwined. You are incomplete, he's saying here. If you are not excelling in this area. I'm sure there will be some here who no doubt give very large sums of money relative to others. But I do need to ask, I think. I wonder how you stagnated as a Christian simply because you do not give generously. Perhaps you used to give generously, but now you earn more. 
And you know you don't give as the Bible or your conscience is telling you to give. Oh, I'm sure because you're bright people, you have a whole barrage of justifications, probably pages and pages in your head. You have a lifestyle to maintain. House to upkeep, you have trouble plans, I'm sure. And you've probably said to yourself numerous times, I'll give more when I get that promotion or that wage rise or that happens. Have you? Oh, don't listen to me on this at all, please. Look at, look at what Paul says and, and God says through him. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. The example of the Macedonian churches is incredibly humbling, isn't it? But it also should be inspiring. Paul continues now to encourage the Corinthians. In our second point, we see the encouragement comes, but he moves from the example of the Macedonian churches to the example of Christ himself. It's the ultimate motivation. It should be for all of us. Let's look at it in verse 8 and 9. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. We felt that? I hope so. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, uh, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I don't know if some of you remember that great uh, Graham Kendrick song, it's quite old now, but he wrote this uh, song called The Servant King. Do you remember this line? Hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. What a genius line. Verse 9 speaks of the the majesty of Jesus Christ. Now, think about this. When we gathered as elders this week, uh, we we were looking at this verse. And I just asked us to to recall, if you like, the many places that we understand the richness of who Christ is in his identity and his characteristics. And you could go, the list could be endless. He's the eternal son of God who was seated at the right hand of the father before creation. He's rich in every way, in his being, in his power, every way conceivable. Christ is rich. Yet he surrendered himself and became poor. He humbled himself, Philippians, didn't he? And became, took on flesh, became a man. And then what? He suffered death on a cross in our place. Why? So that through his poverty, so that you through his poverty might become rich. We can become rich in the sight of God through Christ. We can be counted as perfect, right in his sight. God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to become sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We can become right with God. Macedonians did not give through guilt and fear. Paul isn't trying to force the Corinthians to give, twisting their arms, laying on the guilt, spade load after spade load. Giving must be an act of grace from beginning to end. We must only give in response to the grace of Christ, the greatest gift. And it is the ultimate encouragement for all of us if we're here today as Christians. Look what Paul does then. He, he comments for the church in, uh, for the, in Corinth there in verse 10. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. 
Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. What's he saying there? He said, you used to have the desire, but it's in the present tense. You need to have the desire now. I'm not going to force you. You've got to long for this, plead for this, like the Macedonians. You've got to have a desire. And so Paul says in verse 11, Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. This verse is the only instruction of these whole two chapters regarding giving. It's the only instruction. And look what it is. It simply says, finish the work. Oh, and Paul's recognised the willingness is there. They have a desire. They had a desire. They should have a desire now. Volitionally, they're there. In their wills, they're saying, yeah, I'd love to give. But have they, have they got to completion? Have they finished the work? Have they actually got to the point of doing it? When they do, they're... To give according to their means, we see at the end of verse 11, it continues in verse 12. For if the willingness is there, the gift of ex- is acceptable according to the one, what one has, not according to what one does not have. The gift of acceptable is acceptable before God if done willingly and generously according to what we have. As I said before, Paul is not going to mention any figures here. Frustrating though that may be to you accountants. He hasn't mentioned any amount to the church in Corinth collectively or any figure to say how much the the churches in Macedonia have given so the Corinthians can kind of go work out, well, we're relatively kind of got this much in comparison to them. And so X plus Y equals Z and we'll give Y, but we're going to want the other. You know what we do in our heads? Generosity is measured in proportion to what we have. It's measured according to our means. It doesn't matter whether we've been blessed with lots of money or have very little indeed. We have to give according to what we have. And that is going to be a challenge for some of you as your wages get bigger and as you get promoted over time. Because the temptation for you, I feel it too, but you will feel it in a much greater way. The temptation will be to reduce the proportion of what you give because the real figures get larger and larger. And you will have to ask yourself, are you giving according to your means proportionately? I'll give you an example. If you gave 10% of your wage, let's say 10 years ago, are you still at 10%? Has the proportion increased or decreased? If we're to give according to what we have, it could be that some of us could give away way more than is prescribed in the Old Testament law. And Ash will spend a lot more time on that in the following two sections. That was, of course, 10% in the tithe. I know that some of you could very, very easily give away a lot, lot more than that. One of my very, probably one of my best friends is incredibly wealthy. And I know that his challenge every time we meet is to ask for the proportion that he gives away. And if it hasn't increased, then he asked me to basically rebuke him strongly. He's aiming for 50% at the point of retirement. The point that Paul is making is that none of us, whatever we have, are disadvantaged at all 
with the grace of giving. If an acceptable gift, please hear this, if an acceptable gift according to what you have is just one point one pound a month, then give joyfully. But if you give ten thousand pounds a month, I know none of you do, so that's right. I'm kind of taking the point to its extreme here, but uh, if you give £10,000 a month and you know that your gift is unacceptable before God according to what you have, that is, you're not being generous, please listen to the command of verse 11. Finish the work. Just because the real figure is massive, you haven't finished the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Paul wants uh, the giving to be fair. That's the point in verse 13 and 14. As we close, our desire is not that others might be relieved <coughs> while you are hard-pressed, but there, may be, there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. Now we need to be careful that we don't read into verse 14 what some do. And again, Ash will be dealing with perhaps more of the kind of prosperity teaching that is rampant across this city and sadly around the world. It, verse 14 is not saying, oh, if you give, you'll get back some more or equal amounts. Or No, this is not a kind of quid pro quo kind of in terms of money for money. This is not what that is speaking of. But in encouraging the other churches through giving... They, in turn, as they give, will be supplied with gospel encouragements as they serve the poorer churches. We know what that feels like. What a privilege it is to hear, as we give away money to to support missionaries around the world, and we hear news back from them. They don't give us money back. They don't come back with, you know... Bucket loads of you know stuff of hyperinflated Zimbabwean dollars. I'm thinking of at the moment. Yeah, but they come back with you know, money for us from their country. No, they come back with better, if you like gospel encouragement. We are served in that way. We're equipped that way. It helps us to keep going. This section ends with that quote from Exodus 12:18. Look at it as it's written: "The one who gathered much did not have." Uh, too much and the one who gathered little did not have too little that now this verse speaks the context of the manor in the desert um, and so no one had too much uh, the, the one who had lots gave away and the, the one who had little received and so on it's it's the distribution of wealth that Paul wants to encourage and, and we need to hear this we as a relatively wealthy church We'll need to hear this again and again and again. Where we give away at the moment roughly 20% of our income as a corporate, as a church. We ought to understand that that is a huge privilege that we enjoy. And we will want to continue to enjoy that and grow that as years go by. As we individually respond to the grace of God and take up the privilege of being generous... Many of you will want to to know that more and more and more. And corporately, we want to know that more and more and more. We will want to. We are relatively wealthy. We We should long to give away more and more. It should be expected that we, as a church, will grow in our giving every year. I pray that is so, like the Macedonians. Remember, the amount of the gift is never mentioned. 
It is left to the Corinthians, that is left to each of us. I'm not going to tell you a figure. But as we have seen, how much you enjoy the grace of giving to the ministry of the gospel, the quantity, well, that will be the wonderful indicator to you alone. Only you will know, as giving is anonymous here, that will be a wonderful indicator to you of how much you have understood the ultimate gift of grace. Let me summarise a couple of things uh, to remind us of what we've been looking at and then a couple of questions to finish. Summary, the Macedonians beg to give. Why? Because grace overflowed out of their lives. The grace of Christ has been poured out on us. We are rich because Christ was willing to become poor for us. Questions, how are we going to respond? I wonder, are you going to continue begrudgingly give a crown? God's people, fact. God's people, as we see here, give joyfully according to what they have. That ought to be the case. I wonder, is that true of you? And if not, why not? Why are you holding back if it is a privilege and a joy? I'm going to stop there.